Hi, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm here with my friend Zach. Hey, everybody. Uh, so today we've got a lot to go over. Um, we just <laughs> recently had the announcement day that covers a lot of the major releases for the next six months. Yeah, until the next... For until uh, January. Actually, yeah, 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 in January, yeah. And we also got some new spoilers from some of the upcoming sets. Just a lot of new information. We, recently, we've also gotten spoilers from Core 2019. Yeah. Because they've been somehow included in Dominaria <laughs> packs. <laughs> That's um, so confusing. And the great designer search is finally uh, moving along. So there's yeah. maybe some insight into what future design might look like based on the veins of design that are being mined by the contestants a whole bunch of stuff we have learned what the fall set is going to be it's going to be guilds of ravnica it's going to be released in october 5th and it'll be five guilds the celestia boros golgari is and demir then uh following that is going to be ravnica allegiance which takes place in january 2019 and that's going to have the Rakdos, Azorius, Gruul, Simic, and Orzhov. There is going to be a third set set on Ravnica. Yeah, the spring set. Um, but they've given us very little information other than it's not going to be just more of the same. There's going to be something, some drastic change uh, that's going to shake things up. Yeah, they, they were honestly, in, someone was talking about it being like the Infinity Wars of the MTG universe thing where like all these storylines come together so yeah i think someone from wizards stated that this is going to the third set on ravnica is going to mark an end point in the current magic story yeah yeah they were hinting at like the gatewatch might not be the main protagonist after that point which honestly i think lots of people will enjoy <laughs> mm -hmm. or it might just finally it might mark that the end of bolus as this constant background antagonist because oh, yeah. he's been so prominent for a while for a while yeah yeah so in addition to that we've also got guild kits coming out which are 10 pre-constructed decks five of which which are, are going to be released following guilds of ravnica five of which will be released following ravnica allegiance and they're going to uh, be two color decks that pull cards from all three ravnica blocks or although block isn't quite the right yeah, word, yeah, it's like said. We'll call it a we'll call it a block. You all know. Yeah, what mean. <laughs> all three Ravnica block of a single guild. So if you get the Orzhov guild kit, it'll have cards from Guild Pact, cards from uh, both Dragon's Maze and Gate Crash, yeah. and then cards from this new set, I believe. So it's interesting. Like I'm, I, I'm wondering what they're gonna reprint. Like, it doesn't seem like there's that many exciting or, or well, valuable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like maybe if you're Celestia, you can get Voice of Resurgence, but I don't know what you're really... Maybe, or they... Especially just... if they're limited to just those three blocks. Yeah, I'm worried that there's going to be like an Amaro Tandris in that one in particular. Oh. Like, like they bring in those spicy, spicy legends from last time. Yeah. Which, honestly, most of which were uh, kind of lackluster, I guess, but... Some of them were super cool. Some some were good. I, I think they weren't quite designing for really thinking about Commander at that point. Yeah, they were still... I think that was still before it was like a big idea in their brain. That yeah. like, oh, this is a major that market. Like, yeah, that like they should at least think about whether this card is going to be geared for Commander and then yes. design appropriately. So we also got some more information about Battle Bond, yes. uh, which is the upcoming Two-Headed Giant set. We've gotten to see... 
two new cards and a well a what seems to be an important mechanic in the set why don't you read off the cards and then we'll discuss them yeah so we saw two legendary creatures from battle bond and they are pure imaginative rascal and toothy imaginary friend and i'm gonna read them one at a time but they're connected because pure imaginative rascal has partner with toothy imaginary friend um, and so basically it's it's just a tweak on partner from the commander set, from the four color commanders, but you can only partner with the named, the card. named card. So let's say you want a peer to be your commander, you could also have Toothy be peer's partner. And this also means several things in terms of gameplay mm-hmm. within Battle Bond. If you play one partner, when it enters the battlefield, you can have target player search their library for the named partner and then put mm-hmm. it into their hand yeah so based on the designs they'll probably work together so peer is a human a one one for two and a green that has if one or more counters would be put on a permanent your team controls that many plus one of each of those counters are put on that permanent instead so team is like going to be seen a bunch of times this is not just for your stuff it doesn't more or less double the counters on your stuff but uh does it for your partner in a two-headed giant game if you're playing emperor or something like that there's kind of like a broader application for this term uh which is kind of cool that they're tapping into Mm -hmm. and then toothy is a uh one one illusion for three and a blue and it has whenever you draw a card put a plus one plus one counter on toothy imaginary friend when toothy leaves the battlefield draw a card for each plus one plus one counter on it nice that they're not using dies yes i was gonna (laughs) say that like this is actually pretty red um as far as like big beat stick value engines go Mm -hmm. this could have been way meaner and like way harder to deal with and not work with commander very well but they made it so that like it works how you want it to which Uh, is cool and an important detail about the way battle bond works in draft is that if you are doing a two-headed giant draft both you and your teammate are basically sitting in the same seat and taking two cards out of each pack. Yeah. So if you so if you see Peer and Toothy in the same pack, you can take both. Oh, and they also are going to be in the same pack. Yes. So that's another thing is this is the first set where we're going to see some new collation yes technology, technology. Or, or well the second set because we did have dominaria oh with the legends always yeah. having one legend in each pack yeah so this is in battle bond there's going to be cards that always come together so this isn't an example of that like whenever you open a peer you're also opening a toothy mm-hmm. so you want to discuss a little bit about how you might build around yeah that's actually this is actually probably one of my more favorite blue green commanders mm-hmm. that we have because it's not just do this draw a card or do this like combo one of the obvious ones that people talk about is planeswalkers mm-hmm. but there aren't that many busted planeswalkers in blue green yeah but this works really well with plus one plus one counters for your team like charge can- the fact that it's just counters of peer gives your things counters of any kind is really cool mm-hmm. I, i'm not really talking about toothy too much here because like toothy's a little more boring toothy's a little bit more like now I gotta win. Like, mm-hmm. let's get a big boy. But is there anything in particular you want to bring up? I, I like them a lot more than Atraxa in the sense that. Oh yeah. Because it's much more limited mm-hmm. in terms of color identity. I think it's a better deck for the format. With Atraxa, you had like an abundance of 
riches. Like there was just too much to fit in the deck. Whereas like with Pierre and Toothy, I can imagine that there are enough to fill out a deck list, but not too much more. Yeah, totally. So it doesn't feel like Pierre and Toothy are taking the place of of other commanders yeah, in the same way that Atraxa does. Yeah, yeah, because that's definitely... Because like, Atraxa, you can build like three or four different, completely different decks. Yeah, and they all are pretty busted. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I totally agree with that. Because this, this, I mean, it does have broader applications being that it's permanent. But I think that just because of the color identity, mm-hmm. it does kind of force you to be more creative with your picks and like be more selective with your card choices. Yeah, and that's cool. I also like that it's. I like this as a plus one plus one counter mm-hmm. commander yeah, a lot yeah. more than Azuri actually. Yeah, because <laughs> Azuri, um, just the fact that Sage of Hours exists <laughs> means that like that is the best strategy. And if you do anything less than that, you're intentionally handicapping yourself. Whereas yeah. Pier and Toothy um, aren't able to do something so busted quite so easily, and yeah. so you're more. You don't feel bad when you optimize pure and toothy. Yeah, and it's not even that like you're kind of cutting yourself off at the knees if you choose to play these guys too. Like this is just doing something like differently. It's doing something a little bit more broad than like Azuri was, where Azuri was like this hyper focused like you do this, you get this payoff, and then you win and mm-hmm. there's just a bunch of cards and like like blighted agent even. Mm-hmm. Like you just get to a certain point and Azuri just takes off where like the, these guys I can kind of imagine like the gameplay being more of like a slow build into yeah. like a cool there's, presence. There's definitely some like fun value engines you can do with Pier and Toothy. Like for example, Sage of Fables. Oh yeah. If you have both of these commanders on the battlefield or even just Toothy, like Sage of Fables will um, allow you to remove the counters from Toothy, draw a card, Toothy gets another counter. So it's just pay to draw a card as many times as you like. That and is really you, cool. And then if you have Pier on the battlefield, then you're actually growing Toothy as you do this. Oh, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, and then there's also Zemek oh, Guildmage. Yeah, yeah, I've always wanted to use this guy. Yeah, it does the same thing. Mm-hmm. You pay blue and a green, remove a counter from a creature you control, draw a card. So you can do the same thing. So there's a couple fun things you can do. You're definitely like getting value and assembling some engines, mm-hmm. but it's not just... Hey, uh, tutor for Sage of Hours. Now that I got my five experience, and game over. Yeah, yeah, and and this kind of gave me hope. I think last time you heard me talk about Battle Bond, I was not very hopeful for uh-huh. this. But this, I, I think that they're going to lean into the campiness in a cool way. Now that mm-hmm. I've seen these cards, because the Battle Bond is goofy and big, and it's like arena combatants and like. There's no way in a normal magic set, I mean, maybe they could have, but like a little boy and his imaginary friend, like that trope, fighting in the arena, Mm -hmm. like I feel like that's stretching it for a normal magic set these days, where because this is more loose and and goofy, they could do something like this, and the fact that they used it in this way gives me like a lot of hope for what else we're going to see in the Mm -hmm. set, that maybe they're not just going to force a bunch of goofy, haha, casual format stuff how do you feel about this evolution of the partner mechanic? I actually think it's kind of cool. I do one day want there to be like monocolored partners. Uh-huh. I think that that will be a cool thing that isn't hard for them to do that people are really asking for. Mm-hmm. But I think that this actually is a cool way to handle this here. Pier, I could imagine Pier with certain other partners like 
becoming a problem or just being very good or boring or something but like the fact that they're forced together means that this is basically like just i'm thinking of these as one commander yeah but like uh, you have a little bit more choice between like how your commander operates or how you play it so i don't know why they made this decision but when they were originally doing partners it seemed like for the most part they were trying to make them as broad as possible like just generically good as opposed to really um requiring you to focus your deck on one thing yeah it seems like because they're no longer mixing and matching, they are. It looks like they are planning on focusing this batch of partners a bit more. Yeah, w- which I like. Although it kind of begs the question mm-hmm. of why not just make one card? Maybe wordiness. I think novelty. I think is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, look, we have this new collating technology. Like, look, you always get these cards together. I think that that's always going to be kind of a drive. You question why you need to use the word partner at all. Because, like, the mechanic stated here with partner with... Partner with Toothy or partner with Peer. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. what you'd expect that to be is just is the part that isn't written in the, the reminder text of this card. Oh, yeah. The reminder text of this card just says, When this creature enters the battlefield, target player may put the partner yeah, into, their, into hand. their hand from their library, then shuffle. That doesn't say anything about this can be your commander as long as your other command or you can have two commanders as long as one is peer and one is toothy mm-hmm. so you wonder like why not just use a new a new word for it yeah yeah i think i mean this is my like very flaccid attempt at like defending, defending devil's this. advocate yeah um because i think that they like mark rosewater's talked before about how they don't like putting text on cards that doesn't need to be there, even if it doesn't change the functionality. Mm-hmm. Like, why they haven't put partner on other commanders is because then someone might open the pack and be like, oh, what's this do? And then, like, not play it because they don't know, which I guess happens. I, I can imagine that, that there are people who don't do that. So I think this is their olive branch extending. Like, But but it doesn't really make sense because the whole point of partner is that you can... Mix and match. Yeah, you can construct yeah. whatever color identity you want but that's not the case with Peer. You can with Peer and Toothy, you can do you can green. do this. Yeah, you can do blue green if yeah. you want to use if you want to actually have partners. Yeah. Honestly, it reminds me a little bit of legendary sorceries from Dominaria where like oh, yeah. it doesn't actually like they are adding so much baggage baggage that doesn't actually have anything to do with the word legendary. Yeah. Um it's <laughs> yeah, just at, to the point where you question like does this do you need to use this word at all? I mean, it makes a little mm-hmm. more sense in Dominaria because legendary was... sorceries trigger your historic triggers. But yeah. I don't like the idea of including a word that has that already has meaning and then making it mean something completely different. In, in contrast, I really liked Hexproof from White and Hexproof from Black in Dominaria yeah, because that cool. that's a natural extension. Like, you see that... I don't have to read it. I know exactly what it does. Mm-hmm. If I see Partner with Peer Imaginative Rascal... Like, if I just saw that part and didn't see the reminder text, I would only be able to guess, like, a third of what that ability <laughs> actually does. Yeah, that's totally true. I think that the... I I would rather them try things like this than not, because at least when they're trying, that shows me that, like, they care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, even if this, like, is weird or does kind of flop, like, at least it... This kind of shows me that they're listening to people, mm-hmm. even if... You tell your partner all the time, oh, I don't like chocolates with nuts in them. And then when you have a bad day, they get you like the fruit and nut blend. And you're like, well, 
I mean, you were trying. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. So at, at that bare minimum, I think that that's interesting. I, I do, I think that the cards play together well, and that's the main thing that I care about here. Like, I didn't, I didn't immediately get disgusted by this, which is like, hey, all right, okay. Yeah, and, and I, I understand that, like, okay, so based on the, the starting point they had of let's make let's make two legends that work together and find each other grafting partner onto that is cool mm -hmm. but why yeah. not just have like one blue green guy that whenever you draw a card put a plus one plus one counter on him if plus one plus one if one or more counters would be put on a farm you control mm -hmm. like that's the the crux of the card right there yeah yeah um, but we're okay We've we've got more to talk about. Sorry, this is just me <laughs> nitpicking a little bit. I I still am hopeful for Battle Bond, and they implied that there's going to be what eleven pairs or something crazy uh, like that. Yeah, there's going to be a bunch of guys. I so it's going to be a lot down. of new commanders. Yeah, which is great. That's awesome. So they also showed us the. They talked about it at the last announcement day, which they had like a mini announcement day on like Valentine's Day this year. But they're doing a Chinese specific release Planeswalker decks. They're going to release them in English also, because I think they anticipated people being like, oh, but why don't we get them? Mm -hmm. And even though they're not really for our audiences, and they, they previewed the two uh, Planeswalkers. There's a blue one and a green one. Mu Yanling is the blue one, and Zheng uh, Yangju is the Langu. And forgive our pronunciation. One? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying real speakers. hard. Um, but they are exactly what you'd expect a, a planeswalker deck, planeswalker to be. Mm -hmm. They're they're not super exciting. Um, they are definitely meant for not us, so we're not going to talk about them too much. Yeah, they're not powerful. You can't even use them in brawl because of <laughs> yeah. They're only in standard in China, which is very interesting. Yeah, the blue one Mu is a six mana planeswalker, four and two blue. Uh, starts with five loyalty. It has plus two target creature can't be blocked this turn. Minus three, draw two cards. Minus ten. Tap all creatures your opponents control. You take an extra turn after this one. Uh, and then do you want to read the other one and then we'll sure. talk about them? Yeah, Jiang Yang, Yanggu. I think Yanggu, yeah. Is four and a green. It starts with four loyalty and has plus one. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Minus one. If you don't control a creature named Mawu, <laughs> create a legendary 3-3 three, three green hound creature token named Mawu. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, minus five until end of turn, target creature gains trample and gets plus X plus X, where X is the number of lands you control. Yeah, so you noted something interesting about these cards. It was actually, well, it was uh, a friend of ours noted this, but oh, okay. both typically on Planeswalkers, um, if they have a plus ability that targets something or, or that targets a creature or targets some some sort of permanent that may not be on the battlefield at all times. Yeah. It'll say up to. So the reason that uh, it usually uses that wording, or the reason that R&D typically uses that wording on Planeswalker Plus abilities is that you want to be able to tick them up even if you don't have a target on the battlefield. Yeah. Like sometimes it's nice if there's a clear board, that's the perfect time to cast your Planeswalker. So you want to like cast them, tick them up, get them even you know, work up to your ultimate or whatever. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, neither of these planeswalkers have that on their plus ability. Yeah. The plus two on Mu Youngling is just plus two target creature can't be blocked this turn. Uh, Jiang Yanggu 
is just target creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn. It's interesting that these are designed for casual players, and yet they have this like feel bad yeah. built into them. Yeah, that is super weird. I really don't know. Maybe, I mean, the only thing I can think is that this isn't actually what's going to print, and that they can catch it before it goes out. I think it's more likely that not everyone in R&D really put their eyes on this product. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they probably just had like a mini team, and so it didn't have as much review as normal cards would, especially normal planeswalkers. Yeah, and they they, because they're low power level, they probably didn't like over-scrutinize them. Yeah. Yeah, that actually makes sense. I do want to say I like Dog Boy. I like that he like gets his dog and then his dog is badass. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a cute design. The other one is just like generic blue things. That's whatever. It's strange that Jang Yangu, his plus one and his minus five essentially do the same thing, which is just single yeah. target pump. Yeah, no, it is interesting. I think it's it's the the reason why I like it is because you don't need to have another creature other than his dog Mm -hmm. like that's kind of the it's cool that his ult quote quote that can happen pretty quickly doesn't actually need it doesn't it isn't based on creatures or some other weird thing Mm -hmm. but uh he is not good yeah he is like i just think it's cute that like they made a guy who's like yeah your dog go go to town have fun yeah what do you think about uh what this might mean for future products yeah i think that they're because they talked about the we're in the age of market what they call it um feedback the feedback age Mm -hmm. this is probably going to be a thing where like they're trying this localization in china they're going to see how it works and then we might get these like maybe we get like a russian dual planeswalkers or we get something like i think that this if this goes well we're going to see more stuff like this like specific localization Mm -hmm. type deal a complete um, reprint of Portal Three Kingdoms <laughs> is in the works. Heard it here first, or folks. Or a, a reimagining. They uh, do it through a modern take. Mm-hmm. It's like Return to Portal Three Kingdoms. <laughs> Originally, Dominaria was planned to be the first set, and there was going to be a second set mm-hmm. set on Dominaria. And the story, as it's been told so far, has made a lot. Has spent a lot of time talking about. Um, Teferi's guilt over phasing out Zelfir yeah. and like his status as a pariah and his desire to bring it back and like him finally getting a spark his spark back. So it really sounds like what the second set would have been was Teferi phasing back Zelfir and then or Zalfir. Mm, yeah, Zalfir. And you get to explore this place, this like heavily African influenced place that really wasn't very present in Dominaria. Yeah. Because aside from, like, a few name drops, like Quende, Pride of Femoref, it felt like we were spending a lot more time with the Keldons and the Thalids and <laughs> Benalia and the Academy and the Cabal and Lanawar. And very little time on Jamura. Yeah, yeah, very little time focusing on the what the really unique thing about Dominaria, which is, I mean, aside from the history, is mm-hmm. the fact that there is no other African plane yeah yeah definitely um so it seemed like that's what they were building up towards and i was kind of hoping that okay maybe what they'll do is they'll have core 19 it's gonna have bland not yeah, really yeah. specific <laughs> flavor and then maybe the fall set will be okay now we get to really now we do the the digging into Zalfir and jamura and that flavor mm-hmm. and so i was a little disappointed to see oh okay just another ravnica, ravnica yeah 
So there's been a ton of debate about this, or like discussion, I guess not debate, because I was surprised at both my feelings about Return to Return to Ravnica and also people's responses. I thought there'd be more people who were excited for it, and it's actually, I feel like, been the opposite. Oh, well, tell me more about some of the reactions yeah, you've seen. Just, just the fact that I thought people would be super hyped about it, and people are pretty apathetic about it. They're like, oh, all right. There really are a limited number of returns you can make to a plane. What's going to be really different about this set compared to Return to Ravnica and Gate Crash? It's going to be two large sets, five guilds. Yeah. Each guild is going to, like, the structure, it's, it's shop-worn, you know? There's not a lot left on Ravnica to explore. Yeah. Which is different than, say, uh, returning to a place like Innistrad, yeah. where they had... The gothic horror in the first set, and then, okay, are there other horror themes we can explore? How about cosmic horror? Yeah. And then they dive deep into that, like, sub-trope mm-hmm. and found a lot to mine. But I don't even yeah. know how many more times we could really return to Innistrad, how many different angles yeah, they you can, can find on that. it. Like, maybe, okay, hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> they could potentially do something a bit more noir. Oh, yeah, that would be kind of cool. That would be kind of fitting for Innistrad, but mm-hmm. still, there's only so many... I think there might be a limit on how many times you can return to a place. Yeah, I, I think that the one thing that gives me hope is that there's been a few of the Drive to Work podcasts where Mark Rosewater talked about Ravnica, mm-hmm. and he talked about the block as a whole and how he came up with a new way to do the guilds, but it was kind of too late. So I'm interested to see what that means and Mm -hmm. if they followed through on that because right now it seems like especially with the guild packs that we talked about earlier like Mm -hmm. the 60 card like reprints and all that kind of stuff decks Mm -hmm. that it's going to be more of the same until that third set and i'm wondering if that's true or if they actually are going to act on quote new way to make guilds well, I th- I think I know what you're referring to, and I think he was I think the problem he was trying to solve is to have one set on Ravnica without splitting, and I think that is probably what's coming in the third one. But it's a shame mm-hmm. that we're kind of going to be exhausted by it by then. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering because I I hope because there there I can imagine a timeline where just the set's really fun and it has a bunch of cool cards that people are excited about mm-hmm. and like the story is written by someone and it's good and they actually give them enough help because that's something that I don't really want to talk about this time but like I feel like Martha Wells didn't necessarily get all the support that she needed for like these last few episodes in regards to like character interactions or like continuity things mm-hmm. which isn't her fault because her writing has been awesome but like Let's say we go to Ravnica, the guild's, like, maybe it's more the same, but the cards are cool. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, as long as the cards are cool, it's, I can forgive a lot, but... Well, it's for me, it's a feeling of deprivation, which is... Oh, yeah. It's just, like, I... When I heard about Dominaria, I really wanted to see Jamura. Yeah. And then we oh, really yeah. didn't. Yeah, that's and totally true. And finding out that we, oh, we were going to get it, and then we changed, and instead you're going to get a core set... And look at this cool vanilla creature. Oh, yeah. So the, um, do, do you want to segue into this next thing? Almost. I okay. got a little more complaining in me. <laughs> um, it, it's really that that's driving my indifference toward Ravnica. And I also wonder if they are going to spend a lot of time in one place in this new three and one model. If they are going to have like three sets set in the same place. It might be better if that place is not somewhere where we've already had six sets. Yeah. Like... I, like, for example, 
you could have convinced me to stay a little bit longer on Amonkhet. Oh or, yeah. Or you could have convinced me, uh, or you could have convinced me to stay longer on Innistrad in the last. Yeah, hundred percent. Like if it's a new plane or a plane that hasn't been thoroughly explored, I'm definitely more willing to to be there a little bit longer. But if I already feel like like what do I really need for my Orzhov? <laughs> yeah. Like if I'm already not excited going into set one, if I'm already a little bit bored. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that was actually that's the one thing that I'm worried about is that like yeah. I. I Kind of was excited when they went to the three and one model, and they're like, "And we'll stay on a plane as long as we need to." Mm-hmm. And I was excited to see, like, because this is the first time that we'll be on a plane longer than one set with the three and one. Mm-hmm. And I thought they would do like this set, but it's two. So the fact that this is basically like the old old times when you get three sets on Ravnica, mm-hmm. like we're spending the year there, everybody. Mm-hmm. Like that seemed weird to me. So I, I'm really hoping as we get closer, they reveal that. There's some gimmick. Something is going on that I'm not expecting. Do you know what I mean? Like it might have been a matter. They they decided a while back that like the story was going to culminate. This arc with Bolas was going to culminate on Ravnica, and I think that was their misstep. Oh yeah, because yeah. there has been nothing seeded in the structure of Ravnica that really suggests why. It would be particularly interesting to, to be there. Oh yeah, totally. Like why he would care about executing his master plan there mm-hmm. as opposed to anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. I feel that hundred percent. So they could have just as easily said it's going to be a plane called Chandelar. Yeah, or, or whatever. It some, literally could have been anywhere. Some or Fiora, like yeah. or or just whatever. Someplace hinted at that we have never seen before. Wildfire, whatever. Yeah. So really. I get that for story reasons, they wanted to have three episodes set on the same place so they could run through a real three-act structure of Bolas's plan for this plane. But I just don't know. I just don't think that Ravnica needed to be that plane. Yeah. They could have done it anywhere. And (laughs) they maybe should have been a bit more thoughtful about Mm -hmm. that. Because I'm okay with a return to Ravnica. I could have enjoyed two sets there yeah oh three, totally but three seems yeah it seems like a lot yeah and and i really wasn't expecting it in the same way like i don't see a point to bolus's plan culminating there mm-hmm. we had some cool stories like a few years ago now yeah with the whole with uh, tesa and going into like ancient orzavian tomb area that was cool and crawl the the crawl like ancient death magic area and like we had some cool stories hinted at that the conflict was rising but, but that n- also seems limited to that plane and like, exactly hard, hard yeah. to imagine what a planeswalker would no care. and and so i was i was excited to see like a story about ravnica so the fact that this is going to be a story about bolas putting something like doing something to re- like that isn't as exciting to yeah. me. Yeah, like you could have designed a new plane yeah. that had something inherent about it that made it appealing to Bolas. Yeah. So that you don't have to just retcon, oh, and Ravnica was is actually the new hub of the multiverse. Yeah. yeah. Or something like that. No, definitely, cuz they've been trying kind of to make it like that for a while, but moving on to core <laughs> 2019. Moving on. Yeah, we can um, we could smack talk all day. People have been finding commons, uh, red, white, and blue commons in core in Dominaria boosters. Yeah, so fr- strange. Yeah, displaced from core 2019. 
unfortunately, in my opinion, they seem to come be coming from a variety of settings. There doesn't seem to be very coherent story or setting. Like for yeah, example, yeah. there's an Onaki ogre clearly from Chandelar. Yeah. There's a Gearsmith prodigy clearly from from Kaladesh. Oresko Swiftclaw from from Theros. Theros. Yeah. A Talarian scholar from Dominary. We, yeah. Hello again. <laughs> my vanilla two three. Yeah. So nothing that really hints. A, at the mechanics of the set, or B, at a set that really is going to further the story, which is unfortunate. Because yeah. I, I was hoping, going forward, that core sets would be a little bit more integrated in the story. Yeah. And we are just absolutely not seeing that on the cards. Yeah, and, and to be fair, this, these are just commons, but usually at common, you do see that. Yeah. Like in Dominaria, you saw it on the commons, and pretty mm -hmm. much every set with a theme, you saw it. The commons kind of speak towards that theme. And I, I wanted to bring up that I was looking at uh, Corset M, or the M13 many years back now, which was like vaguely Bolas themed. Mm -hmm. They had him as one of the mythics in the set. And the whole look of the set, the booster packs, everything was kind of themed like Bolas. It had, this is where we had cards like Augur of Bolas and Disciple of Bolas, the black rare that like when it enters you sack something and draw mm. cards stuff like was that. Was Gem of Becoming in the set Yeah, Gem of, Gem of Becoming was in the set. So like there's some cards that hinted at this and they kind of, I this is, I could be completely making this up, but I thought they had hinted at M19 being... Or Core. Or Core 19 Well, being... I think if you look at the packaging, yeah, Bolas oh, yeah. is prominently figured and then I think we've also seen Tezzeret on some yeah. Core 2019 commercial yeah, materials. Some art was spoiled with it on it. But unfortunately, like that's not really showing up on the cart on the commons we've seen so far. Yeah. Although one thing I did notice that I am excited to see more of, see if they expand on it a little bit more, is just one of the draft themes appears to be white blue artifacts. Yeah, which is cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I am excited to see more support for the artifact decks, more cards that reward me for playing artifacts that I can choose not to play in my Joyra <laughs> Mox Tribal deck. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... Oh, man. Come on, Joyra. I, I am very sad. I'm going to say this multiple times throughout the years now, that I'm sad that they, in their minds, check that tick box that was Blue-Red Artificer with mm -hmm. Joyra. Because, like, yeah, Joyra's cool, but she's... It's the same... She's cool in the same way that, like... um Narset uh, is cool. Nar yeah, Nar it's kind of fun to watch as a spectator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But nobody at the table is having fun. Yeah, or even just like experiment crash where you're like, "Wow, what a cool design!" And yeah. but like the deck is you need just... to see it once. Yeah. The last piece of news from the the past week or so that we wanted to talk about is the Great Designer Search three. Earlier this week, we got to see the judges' comments on the ten multicolor cards designed by each of the eight contestants. Later on in the week, we got to see their first design challenge, which was a pretty interesting one. The first design challenge was to pick a tribe, uh, ideally one that had not received much tribal support in the past, and then design eight cards that were all tribal in some way, two of each rarity, and then hit the each card type. They had to be split across at least two colors. So it was a really... Um, cool exploration of tribal design space. Mm -hmm. So the eight tribes chosen were insects, rogues, imps, etherborn, oozes, horrors, samurai, and shaman. I think that some of the 
design space was interesting. It would be cool to see one of these tribes expanded upon a little bit more and then um, potentially develop a new archetype for the commander format. Yeah. But a lot of their executions were not great. I think they made a couple mistakes. And to be fair, they weren't designing cards for commander. But what I was hoping to see going into this challenge was finding new design space that matched the flavor of the tribe. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, there was new design space, but it didn't match the flavor of the tribe. And in some cases, they matched the flavor of the tribe, but it didn't really explore new design space. So there were not a lot of hits out of this group, I don't think. I think some of the choices they made in terms of just what tribe to select was not great. I think that the best tribes would have been ones that... Well, I'm talking about from a commander creating new archetype perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the best tribes would have been ones that had a relatively consistent mechanical identity coming into it. Mm -hmm. Because usually if the mechanical identity is consistent, it means that there's usually a flavor hook for that identity. One of the choices that I was pretty skeptical of and that the designer ended up getting eliminated for was horrors. Oh, okay. Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) No, Uh, yeah, these these are pretty... I've tried to make a horror commander in the past because there are a lot of powerful horrors or Mm -hmm. a decent number of powerful horrors. Yeah. But the problem is there's very little mechanical overlap between them. Yeah. Like scary is interpreted in many different ways. Yeah. Uh, So. (laughs) And what that means. So basically the designer had to come up with uh, a tribal hook for them out of whole cloth because there wasn't anything inherent to the tribe. Yeah. And then he just made bad decisions. Like, the mechanical synergies he chose for the Horror Tribe weren't great, and then he didn't execute on that well. No, yeah, I'm reading these for the first time right now, and, like, even the rares that are supposed to be splashy and fun and interesting for the Tribe, like, are really, really generic, Mm -hmm. and and there's not really much mechanical tie-in other than that, like, things die sometimes. Was in love with that one. Um, Insects, I thought, did a slightly better job. It was like a swarm strategy, but the idea was that each individual insect was basically worthless. Oozes, he did a, an, ex, an interesting job with that um, because the ooze mechanic was devour, which oh, yeah, yeah. makes sense for them and then gives you a lot to build around in terms of, okay, you're going to have oozes, you're going to have ooze tokens, oozes get bigger as they devour things. So there's counters and tokens, a lot of mechanical space. Some of those were less great. Samurai... It wasn't really clear what samurai were supposed to be doing. There is flavor of samurai that's more than just yeah. these guys are good in combat. But this guy failed to explore it. Yeah, I, I'm seeing that. <laughs> it's really interesting, like, the avenue that he took these. It's kind of obvious that he was trying to play into tropes as I'm watching these, mm-hmm. but didn't quite hit any... There's not like an, there's not a, it's not cohesive. So like some cards give first strike, some of them have Bushido, some of them like you sacrifice your guy. Like it's, it's very interesting and not like what I think of when I think of Samurai. Yeah. I I think that he may have gone in the right direction by just bringing back Bushido and assuming all Samurai have Bushido (laughs) as opposed to like starting from the ground up. What do Samurai want to do? And then building to that as opposed to, because all his tribal designs were really just like Bushido tribal designs. Yeah, yeah. Like these guys get vigilance, which means 
you know, you could potentially get Bushido going forward and coming back. Or, like, these guys must be blocked if able, which means your Bushido is definitely going to trigger. But I, I don't know. There's, like, Bushido as a mechanic, other than the name, it doesn't really suggest samurai specifically as opposed to oh, no, warriors, yeah. soldiers, anything. Devour does make sense for oozes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like that's that is one of the things I think Bushido, like if it had a different name, would be a totally fine mechanic to put on mm-hmm. creatures. I'm good at combat is not something that needs to be specifically flavored to samurai or like a Japanese origin. Mm-hmm. I also think that that's probably what tripped him up. Mm-hmm. The, just the idea that samurai have to have Bushido, I think, is not a thing that needs to carry through. Uh, one of the entries that really broke my heart was mm-hmm. rogues. Like rogues is one of my favorite creature types. And I really wanted to see it executed well because... Yeah, like, some cool rogue designs. Exactly. Like, Rogue Tribal in the past, it's basically just been the Prowl mechanic in Morning Tide, and that's only a few cards. Yeah. It's not something that's really been done in big numbers, so it was exciting to see how they could do it. But the mechanic that was tied to rogues for this design was um, caring about rogues with different names. And the justification for that was really paper thin. Mm. It was just, oh, you want to like put a crew together, like yeah. Ocean's Eleven style. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's a really tenuous thing, and it's not something that it's not definitely not the first people would think of when they think of rogues. Mm-hmm. When you think of rogues, you think like sneaky, devious, cheating, and that's not really what this design conjures in mind. Now I think it is a cool vein of design space caring about different names i'm there's probably a better tribe you could use Mm -hmm. you could apply that to Ooh, you know what you were thinking shapeshifters Mm, shapeshifters would be cool or honestly they could do like a set that might be a set for true names Mm -hmm. and then you have like that would be shamans or mystic kind of thing Mm. could deal with like the names of creatures and that would be a lot more fun. Oh, now I want to design that set. Okay, yeah. See? <laughs> so it's it's promising, but uh, it's not a good fit for rogues. And so yeah, exactly. It's a. I think it's a darn shame. Yeah. Do you wanna do you wanna talk about some creature types you if you maybe like if you had this well, challenge you might think of using? Yeah, yeah. I've got it. So uh, well, one. So I think that uh, there was one other choice I want to discuss before I get into my preferences. So one of them chose Aetherborn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was focused more on death triggers, being uh, being willing to aggressively attack, sort of getting at the short lifespan of the Aetherborn and their uh, awareness of their death and their celebration of death. So that I, th- that I thought was pretty clever. But I think there are flavorful, resonant tribes that could that you could design around at all rarity levels that the contestants didn't touch on. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to go through a couple of those now. One that I thought was pretty good was clerics. There's a, like a, a regular draft archetype in white black of caring about life gain, and that's something that comes pretty naturally to to clerics as a tribe. Yeah, definitely. It makes sense for both white and black clerics to be gaining life. So that's a really easy way to graft an existing draft archetype onto a tribe Mm -hmm. another one i wanted to talk about was scout yeah scout i think is has a bunch of space in it yeah so scouts have a relatively consistent mechanical meaning they generally just have to do with lands 
And so it's pretty easy to find tribal designs that match that flavor. So you could bring back the explore mechanic. That would be one thing mm-hmm. that'd be pretty easy. Or uh, one reward that is really easy to match to there is, you know, whenever a scout enters the battlefield or whenever a scout dies, like search your library for a land or search mm-hmm. the top two two or three cards of your library for a land. Yeah. Honestly, even just scrying. Yeah. Like you don't even actually need to, like, it, it would be cool to bring some mechanic or create a mechanic for them, but, like, if in a pinch you needed to, like, let's say the set just needed to go out the door, you could just be like, when the scout enters the battlefield, scry two. Mm-hmm. That's pretty scouty. Yeah. Or like, you could have, like, scouts, or you could bring back landfall and put it yeah. on scouts. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. A lot of land-based design space that you can just tack on to scouts. I think that would be a really easy one. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you do you have some ideas? For... Yeah, so I I like cowards a lot. Mm-hmm. We've seen it on I think it's Boldware Initiate or what is that his name? Boldware Intimidator. Intimidator, yeah. Um, and it kind of was it was in Future Sight and it was kind of a joke, but like was awesome mm-hmm. and had like a great the it had the line of text uh, cowards can't block warriors, mm-hmm. which is pretty like heavy metal. That's pretty rad. But just coward as a tribe, you could actually mechanically build around, and it would be awesome. Mm-hmm. I think. Because, uh, again, like, cowards have this kind of internal flavor of being these creatures that uh, don't stick around for the fight. Um, avoid combat. Avoid combat. Uh, are opportunists sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you could make creatures that, if you attack a player with, like, tapped creatures or something like that, or, like, all their creatures are tapped or something like mm-hmm. that. Or, like, you could give these weird rewards or, like, they, something with Flicker that... Um, or, like, this can't block, but blah, 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 like, something else. Or something that's, like, heavily statted, but has, like, reverse Bushido. Yeah, exactly. Like, something that comes at a really good rate, but yeah, gets fucked when it's in combat. Yeah, exactly. And so so there's a bunch of interesting flavor outlets yeah. for cowards that are really cool. And then mechanically, you can just do things like target creature can't block effects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, actually synergize with the tribe. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, like, target creature can't be blocked this turn. That mm-hmm. synergizes with the coward tribe. Yeah, and so there's a lot of really, like, normal, everyday magic things that work really well with that creature type that would be, like, pretty exciting to see. Mm-hmm. I really also like archers, because I think that the theme of, like, I can shoot from a distance has a shit ton of design space. Mm-hmm. Like, everything from, like... uh the normal white deal damage to attackers or blockers to um like great bordoyan had a really cool thing with like when archers attack like they deal damage um or when they deal damage to a creature they also deal yeah to the, to the player yeah. stuff like that but like that the concept of like i can reach you from far away like has a lot of different applications you could have archers that like you can pay a cost and like tap something you can have archers that shoot flares like you, just the flavor of archer is like so broad Mm -hmm. that you could very easily create a mechanical tie-in to the tribe that felt oh okay i could totally see that happening Mm -hmm. or that's i i feel that way another interesting one one might be illusions oh yeah yeah because there's a lot of tropes related to that for example like temporary copying Mm -hmm. feels really appropriate for illusions Mm mm-hmm being tricky like flickering or bouncing them to your hand yeah like being able to move them more quickly than physical creatures because they're not actually there that feels like a natural trope space yeah like apparating like you'd have an instant that like puts an illusion onto the battlefield till end of turn or something like that Mm -hmm. like the tidal wave or whatever Mm -hmm. but like it's an illusion instead of a wave Mm because like 
old magic. <laughs> There's a lot of space in tribes, and I think there always will be. Like there, I think that's one of the reasons like tribal is so popular, and they keep coming back to it. Mm-hmm. It feels like these these didn't mind that much space for these tribes. Yeah. But I, I do actually feel like there is a ton of cool space. Like, I'm not necessarily excited about tribal designs, but if they do something cool, I would be. Like, mm-hmm. if something interesting... Like, I actually do really like Slimefoot. Yeah. Because, like, that's exactly what that tribe wants. And it's cool that there aren't any actual, like, Saperling cards. Mm-hmm. Literal cards that have the type Saperling. That's just, like, it. it's this mechanic. Saperlings are a mechanic... But it's also a tribe. Like mm-hmm. that's a cool thing. Uh, can I mention one more tribe that oh, I think yeah. might have been worth mining? Yeah, yeah. Uh, gargoyle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so gargoyle uh, has a lot of mechanical consistency. Um, defender and temporarily losing defender. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty common mechanic on gargoyles. Yeah. Being an artifact creature, having flying, those are things that come up pretty frequently. So I think it'd be not that difficult to. Uh, find a way to to oh, match yeah. that flavor and have a consistent type of tribal reward. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, there's so many, like, tropes just with gargoyles mm-hmm. that I could totally see making cool cards. Maybe one day we'll get more than one yeah. gargoyle. <laughs> yeah, the next uh, GDS3 challenge looks pretty interesting, though. If you haven't heard of it yet, it's uh, top-down design on Circus World. Oh, yeah, so the contestants get 25 words uh, or concepts related to top-down... 25 card names below. You must use the card names exactly, no tweaking, with one exception listed below. Your cards must mechanically capture the flavor of their title. Uh, two cards of each rarity, blah, blah, blah. So there's a list of names that they have to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have to do like two cards of each rarity, kind of similar to the other challenge they had so they'd be things like clown car ringmaster stilts uh trained elephant uh trapeze artist lion tamer stilts seltzer bottle yeah (laughs) there's some pretty funny ones here unicycle Mm -hmm. oh that's awesome yeah so there's a lot of things uh going on i'm really excited to see what they turn in for that yeah that's awesome yeah i think that these 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 challenges are uh, much more interesting than the ones in the previous years. Yes, yeah, I, I think because they had so much more time to think about them. So the most recent episode that was released was primarily from Slimefoot's point of view, and it honestly seemed to be a filler episode. Oh, I actually really liked it. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, because I like when people use that storytelling motif of look at these people's interactions from perspective that they don't realize. I think that's a kind of a cool way to learn about the characters. And also the biggest reason why I am trolled that Dominaria is one block and we only get so many stories. Because mm-hmm. there's so many characters and there's so many characters we care about. And we're getting so little of them compared to the three Ravnica sets we're about to get. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a filler story. Rounding out the crew and just like showing that these people are here. The fact that I know that... Suspect, rather... <laughs> That we're not going to get the the payoff they've been building up to for bringing back oh yeah Delphier yeah makes me pensive as we near the end of the the, the twelve episodes. I, I'm starting to worry. Like, are we going to get to the return of Zalfir? Why does Teferi decide not to return Zalfir before he goes to 
to Urborg. Like, why not just do it now? Like, if you don't know, if you if you're not even sure you're gonna survive this mission, why don't you just redeem yourself? Let us all let everyone at home like breathe a sigh of release. Okay, great. You didn't destroy Africa forever, <laughs> and then you can go do whatever with the cabal. Yeah, no, I think so. I think he's very confident that he's not going to die. I don't think he's confident that not everyone is going to die. Mm-hmm. But I think because his goal isn't for himself to go into the stronghold, I think that he's like, oh, I'm good. But I don't know that for sure because we haven't. He hasn't necessarily talked about it. No one has directly said, like, are you going in there, buddy? Oh, like, they just yeah. are they're like, you're going to help, right? He just kind of assumed, like, yeah, I'll help. I'll freeze him. Yeah. Sure. But I also think that he has to give up his spark to bring it back. So I think that's why he's like, okay, I'll help you with this first and then do it. But I don't think he's going to do it in the storyline. Because I think, obviously, like, after they kill Belzenlock, he's going to take the Gatewatch oath. So whatever but uh, that i hope that's not the case I, <laughs> at the very least like just have it be the the final paragraph of the final story and to fairy prot zelfir back we'll talk about it more next time we next come time. back to dominaria next time on dominaria yeah but i do also want to say this no one's really been talking about it online which i think is really interesting there's this obvious loophole to jace's plan with raska mm-hmm. and the immortal sun thing Nicol Bolas didn't know Jace was on Ixalan, mm-hmm. so Jace kind of had this weird opportunity to have information that Nicol Bolas didn't have, and then with his, like, super mega mind powers was able to induce the amnesia, mm-hmm. like, uh, assumedly perfect amnesia on Vraska until he comes back for it. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. That was super cool plan. Good job, guys. Except then, like, he pops into the story and immediately word spews to a crew full of random people, mm-hmm. and, like, Liliana the plan and he didn't necessarily say immortal sun he didn't say i was on ixalan as far as we know any of that stuff but just like the fact that we know that liliana is going to go to nicobolus and nicobolus is most definitely going to read her mind yeah he's going to know something about where jace was like how does jace know this oh maybe something something maybe vraska so mm. basically like i don't feel like vraska is gonna live too long through the uh the uh, <laughs> ravnica storyline yeah i think they definitely uh foreshadowed this a little bit when we got the backstory leading up to the the creation of the immortal sun and azor being trapped on ixalan yeah because there was a moment where nicobolus you got to see that it was part of his mo to just randomly mindfuck inhabitants of these planes in order to figure out what's going on yeah i mean which makes sense if you have psychic powers and you're paranoid like Mm. you should be mind reading everyone you can yeah (laughs) so it's hard to imagine that he won't do that for liliana and and glean this piece of information from her yeah especially when he knows that for like centuries there's been like planeswalkers that are trying to stop him from just doing whatever he wants Mm mm-hmm it's his MO to just mind read every single person that he can so that he can have his like perfect little plan come together. Yeah. But I'm still am very wary at like what even is the plan? Like I think they've just missed a lot of opportunities to give us more information about how Bolus thinks. We could have seen a lot more interactions with Tezzeret at the end of the Hour of Devastation storyline. Yeah. Or maybe as just like an interstitial moment after the end of the Aether Revolt storyline when Tezzeret kind of just planeswalks away. Well, presumably he's going right to Bolas. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I would really like to see Bolas's interactions with 
Tezzeret, because I think there's a lot of opportunities to show like how paranoid he is, how clever he is. The last few stories, we got a lot of Chandra, we met Karn, finally, and like Jaya Ballard, so uh, spoilers? I guess mm-hmm. some spoilers. Magic's kind of all about spoilers. Um, Mother Ludi was Jaya Ballard the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I that liked... Was, that felt earned. Yeah, that was actually pretty earned. I actually was going to say I like that, and I like how they've been characterizing, like, old Jaya. Mm-hmm. Like, she's just too old for your shit, kid. Like, that's mm-hmm. actually pretty great, and I feel like that... I could see that being the natural evolution of her character over, like, a few hundred years. Yeah. I question why there are so many characters, because Arvad mm-hmm. hasn't really done anything so far. He's cooked some food. Um, <laughs> uh, what's her face? The uh, er, Raph hasn't really done anything. I mean, they'll probably find a moment for him to, like, and I did magic and solved this problem. Yeah. But that's not really a reason to have him on the team, especially when you have so many other mages yeah. just hanging around. Just chilling. Yeah. No, I think that a lot of the crew was for nostalgia from the player standpoint. Mm-hmm. Eh. It's a shame that like we've got so many Planeswalker characters that we have to reintroduce or maintain their characterization because we just have so little time for any of the weather like crew to do anything. Yeah, I yeah. think maybe this this will probably be a this could be a whole podcast except, on its own. Except Slimefoot. Yeah, except Slimefoot. Slimefoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One twelfth of the Dominaria story there is entirely go. Slimefoot. There you go, buddy. Um, people were wanted it really bad though. People were like, where's Slimefoot? So I think people there there's a subset of population, me too, <laughs> uh, who wanted to see that. Yeah, I think that's all for this week. Um, yeah. Thank you all for listening. If you want to give us feedback, you can. Uh, Email me at commandertheory at gmail.com. Uh, tweet at me at commandertheory. You can message me on Tumblr. Uh, how can they reach you, Zach? Yeah, so I am at Fat Bartleby on Tumblr and Twitter. You can uh, tell me about your favorite parts of the story. You can talk about how much uh, Slimefoot's story was great or not great. Um, thank hey, you, guys. Thanks for listening.